Welcome to Unlocking the Hidden Value of Your Life Insurance with Mark Murky and Rob Haney from Life Insurance Settlements. This show is designed to help retirees and their advisors understand the basics of a life settlement. In this podcast, we show you how to get more from the sale of your life insurance policy versus lapse or surrender, and how using life settlements can increase assets under management. Mark and Rob ignite conversations on how to look for opportunities and navigate the life settlement process so you and your clients can enjoy a comfortable retirement. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome to Unlocking the Hidden Value of Your Life Insurance with your hosts, Mark Markey and Rob Haney. Rob, what's going on? Not much yet. This morning, Eric, how are you? It's a little early. Yeah, I'm fantastic. I'm excited because we've had a couple podcasts already, um, introduced you guys to the audience, what you do and everything. And now it's time to bring on guests. And you got one today, Mark. I know that you're going to introduce a guest. How are you? I'm doing well. Everything's good down here in South Florida and hopefully uh, warm and cozy where everyone else is located at today. Uh-huh. <laughs> was, that, was that a barb, sir? <laughs> well, I know things are a little bit different in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, and yeah. where John's joining us from Denver, Colorado, than it is in South Florida. So we yeah, hope you're all what well. You, what are you guys <laughs> talking about today? Well, I wanted to bring John on. John is a uh, owner of Colorado Brokerage Group, and they're a, a full-service brokerage and marketing um, agency um, out of Denver, Colorado. Uh, John's specialty is to provide his uh, advisors with the best, highest quality life insurance, annuities, and long-term care products in the industry. And John and I came in contact, um, boy, I, I don't honestly don't know. It was several, several years ago. And he's brought some great cases to me where we've able to help the advisors that he represents and those clients that that advisor may represent. In fact, I talked about one of uh, one of those case studies, I think, on our last podcast, and we'll get back into today. But uh, John, welcome from Denver, Colorado. We appreciate you uh, joining us today. Thank you, Mark and Eric and Rob. It's good, good to be here. It's actually going to be 70 degrees in Denver tomorrow and then, <laughs> and then, and then snow on Thursday. So uh, pretty typical in the Rocky Mountains here. So um, appreciate you taking the uh, allowing me to be on the on the podcast here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, one thing I wanted to talk about is you know we mentioned in previous episodes that you have you know there's five hundred thousand life insurance policies that lapse every year, and that's just on seniors, folks that are sixty five and above. And the life settlement industry on a yearly basis, we probably buy three to four thousand policies. So you see there's a huge disconnect there. And John, from your, your standpoint, you're a brokerage general agency manager. You work with hundreds, if not thousands, of insurance advisors. Why do you think the industry, the life settlement industry, is, is held back? Or why do you think it's not commonplace for every single advisor to instruct or let their client know that, hey, if you're going to lapse or surrender your policy, if you're one of those 500,000 people that every year lets their policy lapse, they just surrender back to the carrier. Why do you think the life settlement um, option is not presented as often as it should be? Thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, you know, Mark, I've been in this business a long time, got involved in the life settlement business, you know, where it first came out in the early 2000s. And, and we looked at a lot of different cases. And I think that there's two, two reasons why I think clients and, and advisors aren't talking about this and, and utilizing this opportunity. I think one is um, there's still a, uh, um, a confusion or a, or a concern about somebody else owning a life insurance policy on uh, your life. 
and going back to the to the Wild West days. And you know, I remember even there were conversations about Colombians being involved in this business. And I still think there's a there's a a negative connotation in that in that regard. You know, why why would I want somebody that I don't know um, to own it? Now, I think obviously you guys are going to you know have changed that mindset. Then there's more institutional buyers than there are private buyers today. But I think that's number one. And then number two, I think it's definitely an educational perspective. Um, and I think that education not only goes to the advisor community, but I think also to the broker dealer world, because there are many registered advisors whose broker dealers prohibit them from, you know, participating in these transactions, regardless if it's a variable life insurance policy or not. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up, John, because our industry, you know, I've been in it 21 years. Rob's been in it for, oh, I don't know, ever 30 years, 30 and, and Rob, you can add something to this if you want, but back in the early days, yeah, there was confusion and there was, um, I don't know if it's correct or concern regarding, well, who owns my policy? And the answer is this for everyone that's listening in. If you sell your policy in a life settlement transaction, an institution, a hedge fund, a pension fund, a credit and investment type capital will own your policy. And I think I've mentioned it before, when you sell your policy in a life settlement transaction, you really, you go into a portfolio and now you're a name and a number within that portfolio. So you have every bit of uh, confidence, every bit of, um, you should not, I guess, be concerned about, all right, well, who owns my policy? I mentioned this on the last episode that Joey Bag of Donuts is the guy owning my policy. No, that's not the case. Our, inst- our industry is an institutionalized industry. Uh, you've had big, large capital um, come into this industry that realizes that this industry is different than real estate, stocks, bonds. You know, if you sell your policy on a life settlement transaction, that buyer is going to get the death benefit one day because the carrier always pays the death benefit out. But um, Rob, do you have anything to add with regards to the buyers and how they've changed in this industry over the last 20 years? No, I think both of you hit the nail on the head. I was at a conference with um, the last executive director of Lisa, uh, Darwin Baston, was on a panel with some carriers. And this came up. And, uh, and Darwin had one of the best answers I've ever heard, and I use it all the time, which was, <clears throat> if you're comfortable going to sleep at night knowing that you just bought an annuity from John Hancock, then you should be comfortable going to bed at night knowing that you just sold your life insurance policy to institution on the same levels as John Hancock. Maybe not quite as big, but big enough. Um, you know, the days of the the Wild West that we talked about earlier, yes, those existed. I mean, there was a time in the early 90s when it was all individual investors. Um, so if there ever was a time where that was going to happen, that would have been it. And it never did. So uh, the last thing I'll add is that it's clumsy, it's clumsy and obvious um, when it comes to trying to, if you will, investigate that crime, if that crime were to occur, it'd be very easy to figure out who would who had a motive to kill you uh, when and if you just changed the ownership into an individual Joey Bag of Donuts in your case, Mark, uh, and um, <laughs> and that the person died the next day and there were some donut stains on the ground. So at the end of the day, people have got to get comfortable with that. You're never going to convince everybody. We know that. We're fine with that. But the last thing that John talked about was education. There is a huge educational divide amongst what people know, what they don't know, or what if they do know something, do they know the correct information? So right now we're working primarily on the people that have limited information and trying to educate them up to get involved. But at the end of the day, um, we think it's an, an option worth investigating. Ultimately, money decides most arguments, if you will. 
Uh, if the if the conversation is, would you like to have a hundred thousand dollars in cash surrender value or eight hundred thousand dollars in cash? Usually, eight hundred wins. Yeah, John, and you mentioned this, and maybe you can enlighten us when it comes to education or lack thereof with the advisors that you work with. You work with hundreds, if not thousands, of advisors, uh, educating them on life insurance, annuities, long term care. Where do you think the disconnect is when we try to educate advisors with regards to the life settlement option? Are they just not wanting to listen? Are they just not getting the information to them in a, in a timely manner? What do you think that disconnect is? Do you know? I, I think it's it's a combination of probably not wanting to know and, and it's not really understanding the, the math behind it. And I think that you've got to jump through a hoop if you will, of getting that life expectancy and there may be uncomfortable approaching a client and, and having that conversation and, and presenting. Yeah. Oh, by the way, your life expectancy is three years or five years. That's not a real comfortable conversation for anybody to have, quite frankly. Um, and whether or not they believe they have to disclose that or not, I still think it's a, it's a tough conversation to have. And then second is just really understanding how the math works and, and, is there true value in a particular policy versus not? I mean, if you have a, a $10 million policy and it's got a million dollars in cash, is it better than a million or to get, is, can you get 2 million? And, and then then the last component I think to that is how is it taxed? How does it, how does it, you know, how does it impact the policy owner when they do sell it? Because it's different than potentially surrendering the policy. And there's a lot of confusion around that as well. So I think those are the the main things that from my perspective and what I've talked to advisors about where they get a little, um, yeah, okay, that sounds great, but you know, maybe I'll just surrender it. I'll just, you know, whatever the case may be. Now we've had some good luck and I know we're going to talk maybe more in depth about the the one case, but term policies are another opportunity that need education and people don't understand exactly how that process works either. How is a, how can a term policy be sold? So, and, and you, again, we can get into the, the case of the, cause that, that one case is go ahead, Mark. Yeah. So yeah, tell us more about is, that. Tell us more about that case that we did a few years ago, John. Yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting case because we knew we had a conversion period that was expiring on this case. And we approached a client and said, Hey, you've got this $10 million life insurance policy. Would you like to convert all or a portion of it? And we even showed them a premium financing strategy around that to, um, you know, to, to show them why or how he could, you know, keep this policy going. And he ultimately came back with the, you know, after conversations with his advisor and his CPA. And they said, you know, we really don't need the policy anymore. Let's just let it go. And then that's when we came to you and said, Mark, is there a market for this? And we looked at the conversion opportunities and, we ended up, you know, pricing it out. He had a relatively long life expectancy, if I recall. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, for a policy that had literally zero value um, on a $10 million face amount, I think we got the client about a half a million dollars net. Um, and, you know, and I think the advisor made a good amount, a good amount of revenue on the, uh, on the conversion um, premium. So that that's where, Again, more education, I think, needs to be brought around that because, um, you know, that's that's a good opportunity as well. Yeah, and I'll, I want to address some of the points you brought up, and I'll tie in this case summary because this case summary that we just did uh, a year or so ago really kind of answers some of the questions you threw out initially. You know, first case you mentioned or first thing you mentioned is mortality. It, it is a 
and I've not had the discussion, uh, but it is an interesting discussion when you have to start to talk to a client about their life expectancy. But the way I see it and the way the advisor should see a life settlement appraisal, evaluation, is it really gives you, the advisor, and your client the most comprehensive view of why it makes sense to sell the policy or why it may not make sense to sell the policy. And what I mean by that is, yes, we do collect medical records. The client doesn't have to go to the doctor. We do collect medical records. We do mortality studies. So we can go back to the advisor and we do this. We have to share this with the client. It's part of our job is to go back to the advisor saying, okay, we've done multiple life expectancy studies. Here's the average that we're seeing on your client, whether that's two years or whether that's 22 years. And those are kind of the buying parameters. But we've had cases where the client said, oh, I'm perfectly healthy. I'm just going to drop the policy, yada, yada. Well, we go out and we do a study and find out the client's life expectancy might be 10 years or under. Well, in that case, maybe the client wants to hold on to the policy. Maybe they want to keep it. Maybe they want to keep making premiums. So in that instance, you gave this client this comprehensive view of why it makes sense to sell or perhaps not. And when you look at John's case, he came to me, the client, I think, was 73 or 74 Client had some change in health, which in a life ex, uh, life uh, settlement appraisal, those make the best clients. Clients that have had some change in health since the policy was originally issued. Well, John's client had some, wasn't on his deathbed. I think our life expectancies were 13, 15 years or so. Now, the premiums on the $10 million policy were 480 grand to convert. So that math didn't necessarily on the surface work to get great offers. And even John said, Mark, we're not going to be able to sell this policy unless we put a sizable amount of money in the client's pocket. Well, we got creative on that particular case where we said, okay, if we need to put, in this case, a half a million dollars in the client's pocket, the buyer will take part in a term conversion commission, which I believe the buyer took half and then John's advisor took half, which that's 240 grand. So if you look at that whole scenario, you had a client, a high net worth client that was walking away from policy, didn't need it, explored his options. And instead of just letting this term policy go for zero, we were able to do our valuation and we gave the client a half a million dollars. The advisor took part in the term conversion commission, which was around 240 grand. And then that particular advisor, and I don't know all the details, he's the first one to sit down with that client and say, hey, you just got 550 grand from this life settlement valuation. What do you want to do with those proceeds? Which we can put them in an annuity, put them in long-term care, whatever you may be. So that, that one equation there really... Yes, it's it's a morbid conversation, but in that conversation came an outstanding result. You took a client from zero to a half a million dollars. And then when you mentioned your second point that, boy, you really don't know, should I do a life settlement? Should I not do a life settlement? The numbers are the numbers. What I mean by that, the average life settlement appraisal or average life settlement valuation usually returns three to seven times the client's cash surrender value. I'll say that again, three to seven times. That's a big number in most instances. Now, not every instance do we double, triple, quadruple the client's cash surrender, but if we're able to beat that number by a sizable amount, you've now really showed true value to your client and you've looked like the comprehensive expert when it comes to this appraisal. And again, we've mentioned before, you can keep the policy if you don't like the offer. You can keep the policy if all of a sudden the mortality studies come back that show you're on the low end of life expectancy. That's your choice. We're just simply that option um, that an advisor like John and the advisors that he represents, that if they're not presented every time, I really think they're they're missing the boat. They're missing dollars for their client. 
They're missing dollars for themselves as an advisor, and they're missing their opportunity to do what they got into the business for, which is to represent their clients in a fiduciary capacity, show their clients all the options when it comes to buying life insurance or even selling life insurance. So um, taxes, Rob, you want to jump in on the tax side of it or you want me to? My standard tax question answer is, <laughs> I'm not a tax professional. Please consult your tax professional and CPA for this answer. But what we do know, what we do know from experience is that if you surrender your life insurance policy, you will pay ordinary income on the difference between that and your basis. So that we know. But if you surrender, I mean, excuse me, settle that policy for more or greater than the cash surrender amount, the difference between the cash surrender amount and the amount that you settle for, you will pay long-term capital gains around 20% on that. Um, again, we want to highlight the fact that in many cases, basis is a big number in some cases. So you won't be paying any money on that return of premium that you've paid in. But you will, as John pointed out earlier in the conversation, that you will pay, there will be a tax consequence. But then again, making profits is in fact, a you will be paying taxes on your profits that you make anywhere. Um, so our goal is to try and get you in a position where we, where you have to pay some taxes because then we feel like we've done our job. Yeah, I could say I've done, you know, thousands of life settlement transactions. Rob's done 20, 30,000. And I've never, never had a client come to us and say, well, I don't want to do the life settlement because I have to pay taxes. Because in all instances, we're giving them more money than what the cash surrender value is. And yes, you'll have to pay a tax. Usually it's around 20%. It's long-term capital gains over and above your cost basis or cash surrender value. So that's just touching a little bit on taxes, which Every transaction we do, we provide the client with the latest IRS tax papers. Not our opinion. This is the IRS, which again, IRS is going to have their handout. Long-term capital gains is usually the tax basis on any life settlement transaction. So, John, do you think that kind of answers the questions on taxes when it comes to your advisor's perspective? Yeah, hundred percent. I think that you know, it, it's not a, it's not a matter. It's just a confusion. It's just you know, what does that you know, we're not going to surrender it. I mean, in this example of this term policy, obviously if he let it go with zero value, there would be zero tax. Um, the fact that he sold it for, for value, he had to pay some tax. And, and again, it's, it's, it's just a different conversation from a, from an individual who sold a life insurance policy or an individual who bought a life insurance policy. That's the, that's the difference. And I think that we've always tried to do is when we have that, that older client, we always ask the question as your client had a change in health and, you know, we're doing policy reviews. We're looking at older policies and identifying, is there an opportunity here? We always bring it up and does it always, you know, equate to a, an opportunity? No, not always, but in many cases it, it can. And so. Yeah, that's good information. John, I want to bring something up as we kind of come towards the end of the show here. You and I were talking like last week. And you mentioned the carrier enhanced cash surrender option that a lot of the carriers, some of the carriers are sending out to your clients or your advisor's clients. What can you tell us a little bit about that particular uh, option? Well, and yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. I think that we've seen more and more, say more and more, we're seeing a handful of carriers offer um, clients the opportunity to surrender their life insurance policy for a amount greater than the current cash surrender value. And I think it is in response to, you know, getting what they perceive as a, maybe a, a bad product off the books and giving the, and not having to come to you and do that. There has actually been, 
at least one carrier that even would do a life expectancy calculation and would change the offer based on that basic life expectancy. Um, And, you know, that number could, you know, they had a range, you know, it could be, you know, 20% higher than current cash value up to some number greater. And, And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely, we're seeing it more and more. And in those situations, we did actually come, I think in some cases we came to you guys and said, Hey, we've got a potential, you know, enhanced cash surrender value option. Can you beat it? And in many cases they weren't, you know, there was no health change. There was no issue. There was maybe no, no reason to do it, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting development in the, in the insurance world, because I think they realize there's an assumption that if you buy it, the policy is not going to go away. It's going to stay on the books. And in many cases, they may not want that per se. They may want, they may, they may assume that a certain percentage of policies will in fact lapse, which is part of their pricing model, I think in many cases. So. Rob thoughts, what's our industry have to say about this enhanced cash surrender? So we've been aware of it um, into 2021. I actually, my wife's father, my father-in-law, my wife's the trustee of his trust was sent some information. No one can see this, but I'll show you. The enhanced cash render out value option by Lincoln, where they offered him on a policy that was paid up an amount of money that if he sold for that day, he'd get. And Lauren brought it to me and said, what, what, what am I looking at here? And at that point, we began the discussions of why are they doing this? And I think John nailed it, nailed it perfectly. Uh, they're trying to get things off the books. I don't necessarily think it's settlements in total, but luckily our industry association employs a gentleman by the name of Matt Chappell, Kat Muchin of uh, Chicago, former Illinois insurance commissioner, who is our man on the streets, boots on the ground, if you will, across the, the various states where this activity has taken place. And he's really beat it, beaten it down in Illinois and others. There's others that are more difficult, Florida being one of them, California, another. Um, but he keeps bringing back, it violates the smoothness test, which is the non-forfeiture law, which is what really the regulators, how they regulate life insurance companies. They want to prevent. So if you have if you have a class that someone's approached and say, hey, I want you to sell your life insurance policy and, and, and you're offered a special number, offer, et cetera, or a range of numbers, but not everybody else who owns that life insurance policy is offered the same. You've enhanced that since you're, you're discriminating against the other people that weren't offered. So that's number one. That's the simplest one. Number two, the insurance companies are acting as a life settlement company in these cases without a license, which is a big, big violation. Because we just say to them, so we don't need our license anymore. We're just free to do whatever we want whenever we want to. And of course, the states will pat that down. So when I say the smoothest test, I'm going to read you what I wrote down because I, I think it's important to understand what, what that means. Um, so it requires a reasonably orderly sequence of increases in actual cash value. It can't be your cash got 100. Oh, now you have 375. Got to go up slowly and incrementally to everyone. Uh, requires consistency of progression of the cash values. Prohibits sharps increases. I just touched on that in cash renovation. And benefits available only during certain windows of time. And then, of course, Policies should be disapproved or unfair or equitable, even if cash surrender value or is equal or to greater than the minimum cash surrender value defined in the non-forfeiture law. So Lincoln, Sun, these were the first companies 
to do it. We haven't seen much lately in terms of new carrier activity because, quite frankly, they're not doing very well when this gets tested uh, at the various departments of insurance across the country. But some are slower than others to act. Um, but it is, but it is, you got to think about, you know, go back to the education conversation we had early on. If you get a letter in the mail from the carrier that says they'll give you X number of dollars now, that peace of mind that goes in that person is different than the person who's selling it to another person because that policy has gone. You've got the cash, the policy's not out there. There's no incentive. So I think they play into that fear a little bit too. But again, go get a license. You want to do that? You want to get in our business? Fine, let's do it. But you got to you gotta play by the same rules we do. Yeah, and what I've seen, and I haven't seen a lot of these, um, but those cases that I have have been instances where we have been able to beat the carrier's enhanced cash surrender. So we haven't seen hundreds of thousands of them, but I know they're out there. So if you're a listener, whether you're a consumer or an advisor, and you're you're staring at this carrier enhanced cash surrender offer, you're probably a very good fit for a life settlement. If you're 65 and above, I've had some health changes, and all of a sudden your carrier says, hey, instead of giving you 100000 your cash surrender, we're going to give you 300 on this million dollar policy. You're probably a pretty, not probably, you are. <laughs> you are a very good fit to at least bring that policy to the life settlement industry to a broker like myself through to John who brings me his cases and have it appraised because I'm seeing that most of the time, at least for the limited cases that I've seen, we're able to beat them, period, end of story. If the carrier thinks they want it off the books and they're going to offer more, well, guess what? There's probably a life settlement buyer that says, well, yeah, we'll beat that number even more than what your life insurance carrier sees or, or offers you. So, And I would just add, and John, you could probably finish this for me better than I'm going to say it, but when they, they look for these policies that fit a certain profile, and the profile in my father-in-law's case was he doesn't have to pay another dime for the rest of his life, no matter how long he lived, and that death benefit was guaranteed. So to get that off the books um, by offering him almost double what he had in cash surrender value was would have been an incentive, but given that he didn't have to pay any money, he sees it as a, as a, as not as not beneficial to him and his needs. Right. And I think, Rob, I think to clarify too, I think some of the, I mean, I think the insurance companies aren't just offering your father-in-law because of his age and his, and the product they're offering a class of individuals yep. that same offer. So they are being consistent just to be, just to be fair. They're not identifying that, Oh, that policy is bad. I'm going to try and get that particular one. They, they are taking a class and they're, you know, let's face it. They, you know, many insurance companies have made mistakes. They've, they've mispriced products um, and that either benefits or, or, you know, goes against the clients, you know, either helps or, or hurts the client in, in the long run. And so in some cases where, you know, from my perspective, if it, if it's not an older age client or there's not an opportunity for a settlement, it's a good opportunity for them. They've also built in to try and I think, um, combat what what the life settlement business does. These return of premium options in 15, 20, 25 years out, which again are, are opportunities for clients to get out for a higher than you know perhaps the, the cash surrender value as well. So, but no, you're you're right, Rob. I think that you know that's it. It is typically you know a policy that's not in their in their best interest to keep going forwards. So. And 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 to add to that, I, I didn't say this in the beginning, but I'll say it. So, as my father in law got that letter. Um, in end of 2020, his agent also got a letter that said, in the coming weeks, some of your clients who purchase certain guaranteed universal life insurance products will receive a letter from us informing them of their eligibility 
for enhanced cash renovators. They were in essence double teaming these clients right. because to bring behind them, like, oh, I don't understand this. In comes somebody like John to say, hey, this is a great opportunity. You're going to get triple your money. Um, and and I'm sure it worked. Uh, but I said at the time when I saw this, which you can't see, that this this eight page uh, brochure that Lincoln put together was the best life settlement marketing piece I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I've never seen anything better. That's you awesome. could just take the word in Kansas Cash Render Value out and put the word life settlement and it's and it's perfect. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, Rob, because it is it is true. And and we're getting to towards the end of our time here. And I, you know, I do want to thank John again for you know sharing his time. You know, John mentioned that there is still confusion in our industry over who owns the policy, which we did address. This is an institutional industry. You got hedge funds, pension funds. Those are buying, those are the companies, the large institutions that are buying your policy for the most part in the life settlement industry. John also mentioned that, you know, there is lack of education. John, I'll ask one last question with regards to approaching you and your advisors. Is there a is there a silver bullet or is there something that our industry can do better to educate you and your advisors and their consumers out there? I don't know if there's a silver bullet. I think it's just a matter of just continuing to educate. Cause I think the, the we're, you know, I know that some of the big funders as an example, um, one of the bigger ones is doing a, a meeting here in town in Denver, you know, on um, with the local um, um, I'm trying to, I'm drawing a blank, the SSFP chapter, you know, sure. they're doing, a, they're doing a meeting with them again, trying to get that awareness out and so forth, which is great. Um, I think what happens in a lot of advisors perspective is they think they've got a case, they bring it to market and it doesn't go anywhere. And so then they quit and then they stop doing it because they think that's the only, if it didn't work one time, it's not going to work every time. So it's, it's, you know, and again, not every case works. And I think that that's like every other, what I'll call advanced strategy, whether it's this premium finance split dollar, whatever the case may be. Cause I think that they're all kind of in that same world. They're kind of niche. They're kind of, they, they got to fit a specific parameter. And not every advisor likes that. Most advisors like the fact that they can sell this product to everybody. They, they don't, there's not a there's not a, a narrow niche. So, so I don't think you got people out there looking for it, but I don't think they understand the, the the end result and what the benefit is to their client if they fit that. Again, no different than a premium finance case or a split dollar case or you name the different advanced concept. If it works well for the client, it's going to work really well. Um, if it fits for that client. And so, you know, that's my perspective has always been, I'm not going to try and shove a, a, a square peg into a round hole. If it doesn't <laughs> fit, it doesn't fit. Right. I mean, but if it fits, it really fits well and it works well for everybody. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Cause not every life settlement uh, ends up in a life settlement offer. And I, and I tell advisors that the, the starting point with every life settlement valuation is a phone call. And on that phone call, I may turn you down. I may tell you, no, you don't have a client and here's why. You don't have a possibility of giving a, a life settlement offer and here's why. But by and large, I think when an advisor like John or his advisors can sit down with their clients and give this, as I mentioned previously, comprehensive view of why it makes sense to sell the policy or not, you're going to look like the hero. You're going to look like the insurance expert, which you already might be, even if you're not an insurance expert. Maybe you don't sell insurance. Maybe your main thing is stocks, equities, bonds, whatever it may be. You're going to look like the expert when you do a life settlement valuation because we do bring you the life settlement offer. We may tell you, hey, 
the cash surrender value that the client or that the carrier is giving you, that is your best option. And yes, we do uh, mention mortality, which is a good thing. I think in every life settlement valuation, you want to let the client know that, hey, you can pay premiums for this long based on your mortality. Here's your life settlement offer or you know another option out there. So all right, everybody. I appreciate everybody's time today. I want to give uh, you know John McWilliams uh, a big thanks for joining us today. John, if we have someone out in the audience that wants to contact you for life insurance, annuities, or long-term care, what's the best way for them to contact you, John? Uh, two ways. Email john at colloradobrokerage.com or on my cell phone, 720-936-8229. I have that with me all times. Would love to talk to anybody that would like to sell life insurance. That's what I do. I've been doing it for 30 years and I continue to do it probably for another 30. I don't see myself retiring him. We'll see. We need to get him a longevity study is what we need. <laughs> <laughs> guys, this has been fantastic. You guys did did great. Uh, I appreciate the time. One of the things that I was I was hearing throughout this and and I've worked with advisors for a very long time and one of the sayings out there is you got to take time to sharpen your axe, right? And if you're if you're taking time to sharpen your axe in this situation, you're reaching out to Mark uh, or Rob and, and saying, hey, is this something, is this a possibility? Is this something that will work for my client? And they're going to give you those answers, yes, no, or why, right? And then you're going to learn as an advisor, you're going to sharpen that ax. You're going to be better the next time. You're going to understand it better the next time so that when you do have another case that you think might be, you'll have better parameters to look at. And then you can bring it or say, you know what, this isn't going to fit because of my experience. So guys, I thought that was a great discussion. Uh, so Mark and Rob, I'm going to ask you the same question. You kind of asked John, if people are interested in learning more, how do they reach you? Sure. Everybody can always reach me on my cell phone. That number is 954-326-9378. I'm available from seven in the morning to nine at night on the East Coast out here. And then my email is markm at lisettlements.com. Markm at lisettlements.com. And just like Mark, you can reach me on my cell phone, 954-599-4433. I'm available an hour before Mark at 6 a.m. and an hour later to 10 p.m. And my email is rob at lisettlements.com. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> That's fantastic. Gentlemen, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Unlocking the Hidden Value of Your Life Insurance with Mark Markey and Rob Haney. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when the guys come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it and leave a review as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Life Insurance Settlements Incorporated, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Unlocking the Hidden Value of Your Life Insurance, the show that helps you unlock the hidden value of life insurance. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.lisettlements.com or give us a call at our office line at 866-326-5433, extension 1017. You can also directly contact Mark Murky at 954-326-9378 and Rob Haney at 954-599-4433.